right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Solly here with, I think, I'm not going to promise, but I think our final recap of the Ryder Cup. You know this is my favorite event in the world. Had to bring in Kyle Porter. We, of course, did a big preview with him and Kevin Van Valkenburg before the event. Had to bring him in afterward to recap it all, summarize it all, debrief, plan for 2023, talk about our experiences running around Whistling Straits last week and what the event means and just a whole lot of stuff. But first, we do have a 15-minute conversation or so with Scotty Scheffler, tracked him down today to chat about his experience, his breakout performance, what that team room was like, all that stuff. Uh, You'll hear about that shortly. But first, I am excited to tell you guys about a new partner of ours. It's called Melt Method. And if you're an early early to mid-30s struggler like me, I'd never heard myself described as that until they mentioned that, uh, your body might be starting to break down a bit. It might be drastic. It might be just bit by bit. You need to start melting your face off. That's what I've been doing. We're going to be telling you a lot about them over the coming months, but a quick story on how we got started. They sent us their starting bundle, uh, which you can find out more about that on MeltGoff.com. It's got a great Melt Method self-care system book. Uh, my wife picked it up. She came bursting in the door saying she just tried it and immediately got was pain-free in her neck after having a stiff neck for weeks. I've started to take my body and my health maybe a little bit more seriously in 2021, and Melt Method's played a big part of that. Getting old sucks. Little stuff pops up every day. That's exactly what Melt Method is designed to target. they got great instructional videos for golfers on their app or if you've got specific pain areas that need worked out. And the big thing is their hand and foot kit. It's a set of balls that you can use to roll out your hands and feet to activate them. I'm going to spare you the scientific jargon that they use to describe it because I would sound like an idiot explaining it. But let me tell you, the program's fantastic. You can do some of these things like while you're on meetings and stuff. You know, just sitting in a chair is not good for you all day. They do, again, I, I can't summarize it all up in one minute here, but go to meltgolf.com. You can use promo code NOLANGUP for 10% off the starting bundle. It's not just for golfers, but it does help golfers. Most importantly, for me at least, it just helps me in everyday life. Again, more information at meltgolf.com. Again, promo code no laying up for 10% off the starting bundle. Let's start with Scotty Scheffler. I want to start. I want to know what the process was like, you know, before getting the call that you were picked. Did you know you were in the running or being considered? Do you know if players vouched for you? There's there's not a ton of precedent for US teams picking a guy like you, a younger guy like that. Uh, I'm curious how all that played out. I'm not entirely sure how it played out between the captains and vice captains. I know I had the backing of a few guys on the team and Steve told us at East Lake that, you know, basically it was coming down. It was like four guys for the last two spots. He didn't specify who, but um, he told that to me and my buddy Sam. So we figured, you know, we didn't really know exactly what was going to happen, but I know I had the backing of a few guys on the team and, you know, it, it was really one of those deals where, you really couldn't go wrong with any of the last four guys that they were looking at. It just, you know, maybe was who fit well with a certain matchup. I don't know exactly what it came down to, but I mean, just glad to be a part of the team. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> how did how did the Bryson pairing, you know, come about? Do you know if, you know, were you picked on the team to play that specific role or when did that materialize? I mean, I don't think that I was put on the team specifically for that. Just because, I mean, I think with Bryson's style of play, he could pair pretty well with anybody on the team, especially in a best ball format. Just because you're playing your own ball, you kind of just throw guys out there and 
you know, just try and make as many birdies as you can. That was, you know, Bryson was somebody that I wanted to play with. I think he wanted to play with me. We, we had fun together. We matched up well. I think, you know, when he started to struggle on certain certain times in the match, I played well, and then, you know, vice versa. So, I mean, we matched up well. We had a good time, and you know, it was fortunate to get, you know, a point for the team. You played a lot of practice rounds of Bryson. You played two matches. I, I You got to give me something crazy that Bryson said. It, you know, it can be, you know, you can holster five of the stories, but you got to give me something crazy that Bryson said. That he said? Yeah, he had to have said something crazy at some point in some of those matches. I don't think so. I mean, I'm trying to think of something that was out of the ordinary. Well, I'm, I'm just wondering if, like, talking about you know the before he hits the drive on five or something like that you know no I, I remember in our practice rounds we actually had that wind once on that hole so we kind of knew exactly what he needed to do and that was something we figured out in the practice rounds was how far right he actually had to hit it just because when we're back there i mean the line he takes is so far right i mean it's literally almost 200 yards from the line that we take on the tee and so in our practice rounds, it's hard for him to comprehend how far he actually has to hit that ball right. So we hit, you know, some tee shots there, and he kind of knew what to do. And so during the tournament, I mean, he just literally hit it at the TV towers behind the green, and I'm hitting it at the TV tower in the fairway that's, I mean, 250 yards apart. I was out there. He climbed that hill to get the line, and I was standing on one of the other tee boxes, and he hit it. He just hit it right over us. We moved partially out of the way, but he had actually hit it right over us. Yeah, I mean, in order for him to get everything out of the way, there's like a TV stand that he hit it right of. I mean, it was absurd how far right that his line actually was there. <laughs> well, what was what's your reaction to to getting the pairing that you got on uh, or the matchup that you got on Sunday? What was the the thought process between you going out fourth? Is that something that was discussed? Uh, and what's your reaction when you see you draw world number one? I mean, we, we none of us were very involved in what order and who would go where with the captains. I think they kind of had an idea of what they wanted to do, and they kind of just went with it. You know, we we trusted the captains with all the pairings and matchups and whatnot and kind of just did what we were told for the most part. I mean, they, they knew what they wanted to do, and it worked out well, and there was no reason for us to change that going into Sunday. Um, all the guys were pretty excited that, that I got the ROM pairing. Um, you know, he had a great week leading up to then, but I was very excited to go out and play him. It's it's nice. I like the challenge of playing Rom just because he's such a wonderful player, you know, major champion, um, and I enjoyed the challenge. Did you feel the value of rest at all in that matchup? I mean, you played you played two matches leading up to that. He played four, and on paper, it just looked like the perfect possible situation for the U.S. team. Yeah, I mean, there is something to getting that proper rest, but at the same time, I think you know, a lot of us were worn out anyways. It's, it's mentally draining, especially playing in front of the home crowd. Like my heart was racing, just watching the guys anyways. And so even those, even those times where I wasn't playing, I was still, you know, we showed up at the first tee to watch. We, and we watched the rest of the matches and, you know, sometimes the waiting game is just as tough as going out there and playing. So I wouldn't say there's too much to it. Rom seemed pretty fresh on Sunday as well as, you know, DJ did having played all five matches. Well, it stuck out to me in the press conference afterward how how much your team wanted to emphasize how much it meant to them that you went up out there and and put up that kind of lead early on. What what did that mean? What did that mean to you to hear hear your team kind of uh, go out of their way to 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 point that out in the press conference? Yeah, I mean that that meant a lot to me. 
like I said, the, the night before the guys were excited. I mean, we were, I was sitting in the physio room getting, you know, our work done. It was like eight thirty at night when the pairings finally came out. And I think DJ showed me the pairing and, and then my wife came running in the room and she thought it was really fun that I was playing Rom as well. I think, you know, he had had such a good week up to that point. I think we all wanted a little piece of him on Sunday just because he had gotten the better of us for the first four matches. Basically, I think, or were they three Oh and one going into that match going into Sunday and, I think that was when Bryson and I halved with him and Tyrrell on Friday afternoon. And so I thought it was good momentum for the team. You don't ever want to look up at the leaderboard and see a bunch of blue, especially when we have that big of a lead. And when I went out, it didn't feel like there was a ton of red on the board. And so for me to kind of jump out there and get up on Rom early, I'm sure it was a big boost for the team. I, I know Jordan told me that him and Bogue were in there watching, getting very excited, just watching me make some birdies on him and, I was just glad it gave the team some momentum. I know you don't have, you know, prior team rooms, you know, or team environments to compare this to. It, it just and watching you guys interact and watching you guys interact at the press conference, that's kind of all we have to go off of in terms of what it what the team looks like and how it seems like it gets along. But did this, uh, you know, can you, I guess, talk a little bit about what the team environment has been like? And, and you know, does it help, you know, you personally just to have a, a, a guys that are kind of more in your age group, you know, be your teammates? Yeah, I think our team environment this week was really relaxed. I think the tournament itself is so built up and there's so much emphasis placed on it. I think I was expecting more in the team room, like more speeches, more stuff going on. But for us, it was kind of just most of us doing our things that we usually do at tournaments, you know, less you know, going out to late dinners, less functions to go to. It was more just like, hey, come down to the team room in your sweats and just eat dinner, relax, have fun, sign all the stuff that we needed to sign, and then just get our proper rest. There wasn't any crazy speeches. There wasn't anything out of the ordinary. It just felt pretty relaxed and normal. So I think guys going into their matches didn't feel like we had to do these crazy things in order to win matches. I think it was more just us going out and playing our game, and then that would be all that we needed to do, which turned out to be the way it was. I mean, for instance, going into Sunday, I think – Strix only talked to us for maybe 15 seconds, 20 seconds after the round on Saturday afternoon. And then we all just went to bed and showed up the next morning and, and played. Like it wasn't – that was probably the weirdest thing for me. There was no crazy speeches, no, you know, rah-rah stuff. It was just very relaxed the whole time. Hmm. Well, that's – that you know, just in interviewing Hunter Mahan in the past, it sounds like they had that in 2008. They didn't have it in 2014. It seems like – that environment it may be the sweet spot in terms of setting you guys up to play your best golf in, in the most freed up way. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's how it felt. Like I expected to be, you know, very nervous going into our Friday match. You know, we wait around all morning. We go to the first tee at 7 a.m. And, you know, Bryce and I don't tee off that afternoon until like one o'clock. So we're playing like a six hour waiting game. And then basically after I hit the first tee shot and, you know, we have the first hole with birdies, it was kind of just you know, it felt like we're playing a match. I think that's what uh, I saw Azinger that Friday morning when we were going to the first tee, and he basically, you know, he walked over, said good luck, and, you know, the one piece of advice he gave me, he said there's all this stuff going on. You know, it's really fun. It's really cool. But at the end of the day, once you hit that first tee shot, he goes, it's just you two versus those other two guys, and that's exactly what it felt like. Hmm. Yeah, was it, uh, you know, everyone talks about the first tee nerves. You're playing in an environment you've never played in before. Were you as prepared for that as you could be? Did anything surprise you about that? Or what, what, was, the, what was the feeling compared to the most pressure you've ever felt in any other uh, time in your life? Yeah, I mean, I was very nervous on the first tee. 
but honestly, after I hit that first tee shot, it felt like it did it, you know, playing late at majors. That was probably the most comparable feeling that I could think of was like teeing off Sunday at the open or last year at the PGA when I was in the final group, it was just, it kind of felt like that environment, which felt pretty normal. I, I mean, I like those nerves. I like that, that kind of extra emphasis for me. I think it helps me play better. And, you know, after that, I was really just kind of settled in. It was funny. Bryson and I, I think we were walking down six fairway. We were maybe just, I think he just eagled five that day to go one up and it was our first match out. And so we just kind of talked about how relaxed we both felt. And it was, it was easy almost. It was, I think, and that speaks to the environment that was in the team room. What was, uh, do you have a, anything set aside as a, as a, as a personal highlight, the high point of the week? I think I might be able to guess it. I'm thinking of that putt on 15. That was the most emotion we saw out of you. That was just freaking awesome. Yeah, I think that was a really cool moment just because Bryson made a big putt on 14 to square up the match. And then there's a big difference going into Sunday versus being 10-6 and 11-5. Like for us to steal that last match out on Saturday is huge. It's great momentum for our team. And so for me to be able to hold that putt and birdie 16 and then Bryson hit a great shot into 17 to kind of you know put the, the finishing touches on the match was, was huge momentum for our team. And you know, anytime you get to make a big putt like that is, is awesome. I think probably the best feeling for me was after we got done with the match on Sunday. And I remember going out and looking at the leaderboard and seeing more blue than I wanted to see. And when I got to 15 green and I knew I had a good chance to close out the match against Rom, I looked up at the leaderboard and we were up in like, I think nine matches. It just put a huge smile on my face. And that was probably the coolest feeling when I got done with the match, saw the leaderboard and it really felt like we won. The first thing I, I talked to Harris English afterwards, the first thing he said was pretty much like, yeah, I'm going to be doing everything in my power to make sure that I'm on these teams in the future. It, you know, I, it feels kind of silly to even ask, because that a, a huge takeaway you have from this event of like, holy crap, I didn't even realize how much I would love playing on these teams. You know, going into it, I, I knew how much I was going to enjoy it, but I think it exceeded my expectations really just I mean, winning is really fun and especially winning in that fashion. And so for, you know, everybody on the team to be able to get a point um, and for us to beat them like we did, it definitely made the week even that much more special. And so for me, yeah, of course, I'll be doing everything in my power to make it onto these teams the rest of my life. I mean, we were sitting with Phil one night at dinner and I think he played maybe 25 of these teams in a row. He maybe I think he didn't. The team wasn't played in 2001 and that was because of September 11th attacks and other than that he basically played a team event every year and so I mean I'm sure that's a record that will probably never be broken but I think all of us are hoping to have a run you know somewhat similar to that on these team events how did how did was it communicated to you guys in terms of how much you would be playing in the you know early sessions were you did you know going into the week you're going to play exactly two times were there kind of some flex options you know to potentially move you into foursomes at any point or did, I don't know I'm curious how it worked for you and maybe for other players if you know on how you guys were game planned Yeah so the the captains took care of a lot of that stuff but they basically asked us you know, going months back, who we wanted to play with, who we thought we'd pair well with in certain formats and why. And they kind of used that in certain statistics. We had expectations early in the week. The captains told us basically the plan for Friday. And so we knew going into Friday that Bryce and I weren't going to be playing the four balls in the morning. But Saturday was totally subject to change. And for us, Bryce and I actually paired really well in alternate shot as well 
which is kind of funny. I think most people, the perception around Bryson would be that he wouldn't pair well an alternate shot just because he plays so differently. But, you know, me and him actually, even the statistics showed that we, we would be a good alternate shot pairing. And so for us, we definitely thought that was a possibility. But seeing how Friday morning went with us winning that session 3-1, it never even crossed our mind that we would be going out Saturday morning. The way it was set up, each day maximize the potential for the entire team to get the most points. And as well as Friday worked out, we definitely weren't expecting any changes going into Saturday. And so, you know, we knew what we needed to do, which was go out Saturday afternoon and get a point. I think the captains did a really good job of setting our expectations with, Hey, you and Bryson are going to play best ball. And then going from there, these are the other two people you could maybe pair with. And then just the expectations were really clear, which, which is good because there's no surprises then. What was when you say the the stats show that? What what are you guys looking at there? How, what do you mean that you and uh, you and Bryson would would uh, you know complement each other well in foursomes? What are you looking at there? Well, they had they have like a stats team that works with the PGA and our captains, and that's basically what they told us. And Bryson and I actually played alternate shot in the practice session when we went up there for those two rounds before the tournament. We played a practice round alternate shot, and I think we shot like seven or eight under, and so we knew that it was going to be a possibility just based on that one round, just because alternate shot is typically a format in which you'd play a touch worse than you would if you were playing your own ball, just because it's different, harder to get into a rhythm. And, you know, we had that great practice round and then the statistics guy said that the stats also backed up that that would be a good pairing, but the four pairings we put out for alternate shot helped maximize the potential for points, including those of, being able to stay the same in those different matches, if that makes sense. Yep. No, it definitely does. I need to get my hands on those stats as a, as a stats nerd myself. Last question. We'll let you get out of here. What was the, what was the highlight of the party? How late was the party? And uh, what, what was it like celebrating your first Ryder cup win? I mean, I would say I probably celebrated more at the golf course just because I finished my match early and was able to watch everybody else come in. And you know, that excitement of actually winning the cup was huge. And then when we got back to the hotel, you know, we still had some fun. Some guys went a little harder than others, but you know, we didn't keep it too late. I think my wife and I went to bed maybe about 1230 or 1. Um, we actually ended up going into the Euro team room for a while, and some of them came over to our team room. And you know, it was good. There's no animosity between the teams. You know, everybody still gets along really well. And um, you know, it was a good night. I didn't, I didn't want to go too hard and not remember the celebration. I wanted to be able to enjoy all the moments. <laughs> did, did DJ live up to his promise to, to outlast the entire team? I think so. He definitely made it later than I did. I got a little tired and went to bed. Um, I didn't see exactly who was in the room at the end, but I'm, I'm sure he was in there. Awesome. Well, hey, Scotty, thanks for joining us uh, this shortly after a pretty emotional and exhausting week. We appreciate the perspective. Uh, look forward to seeing you on uh, more U.S. teams in the future and uh, chatting with you again in the future. Thanks for joining us. All right. You got it. Sorry. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Scotty for the time and a busy week. Before we get to Kyle Porter, our friends, the Walker Trolley Cape 1.5, the premium push cart on the market, brings classic style with an ample use of modern technology. If you prefer to play golf at three miles an hour, the Cape 1.5's polished aluminum frame and their use of waxed canvas and leather create a trolley. Stands out all over the golf course. Every time I take this thing out, people are asking me questions. I just had uh, a, a fellow professional friend of ours borrow ours for Q School this last week because he loves the Walker Trolley so much. It's not just an outstanding product that makes Walker Trolleys different. The company prides himself on outstanding customer service, always available by email and phone. It's a company of golfers making an outstanding product for golfers. Don't take our word for it. Go to walkertrolleys.com, read the 
147 five-star reviews they have. Their customers absolutely love this thing. And just for No Laying Up listeners, you can use code NOLANGUP20 to get $20 off your purchase of 100 or more. Walk the game in style with Walker Trolleys because golf was meant to be played at three miles an hour. Without any further delay, here is our friend from CBS Sports, Kyle Porter. Porter, I got to say, I, I I don't know what to do with my hands. I, I'm about to make everyone in their cars do one enormous collective groan, but I've never been so right. Like usually these days, <laughs> usually these days are for reconciliation and for like, you know, where it all went wrong. Like where, what did I miss? I don't know what to do from here. I don't know where to go. Well, you're not alone. The U.S. team didn't know what to do with their hands either on, on the uh, on the stage afterward. They their 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 celebration needs some work. That that's what we need to work on for 2023. We like like you and I are are still on the team. <laughs> I think their celebration was fine. Like they were seriously enjoyed it. The crowd just did contributed almost nothing to it. I mean, it was a very very bizarre scene. Well, I I don't want to start exactly there, but I I do think that there is a it was a total weird atmosphere compared to what we saw in 2018 at least but 100 percent. we we you know where we should start we should start by reading all the mentions to oh us over the last <laughs> what three weeks just people just hey i'll sell my home if if the score is closer if if the score is uh, if it's this big of a blowout people are gonna be i mean people could be homeless after after this Ryder cup I'm gonna call out bacon too, because I would drop, I would periodically, I periodically drop into our little group chat and just be like, I think I went back and found it like September 13th. I just said something like, "Hey guys, like Europe has a talent problem," and yeah. he just chimes right in like, "Europe's gonna win. They do it every time, man." And I just, I didn't need to hear that right then, bacon. <laughs> I gotta call you out. His exact words were, "It's written in the history books," yeah. and uh, <laughs> or something like that, and. Yeah, I was with you, and and it it we, the the funny thing that that we you and I are kind of talking about all week is it never it never plays out exactly just by the book. You know, I, I, I it would be interesting to go back and look at every single match that happened and who was the favorite and how each of those matches played out because Rom won all his. I'm sure he, him and his team were the favorite in all of his matches. So many of the others went the U.S.'s way. It, it was just it was a very kind of textbook Ryder Cup, and that's not what we're accustomed no. to. It, there, there's always chaos, right? And there was still chaos. I mean, Bryson, we'll get to him, but it was in terms of the outcomes, the individual outcomes and the overall outcome, it, it seemed like everything went exactly the way everybody um, would have said on paper going into the week. And it's almost like the expectation to like, – my prediction, I think I predicted a final score of 16-12 – was like a built-in something crazy always yeah. happens with like it just can't all go the U.S.'s way and it quite literally almost did and I think I, I keep like I'm gonna like quadruple down on how much <laughs> the course actually mattered on this like walking that golf course first of all you and I how many times were we on a certain hole with a certain win and just like imagine Kevin Naw hitting this shot right now <laughs> like, like how insane that would have been when Scotty Scheffler steps up and just pierces a five iron like through the air and landed it softly on the 17th green like it it really just was like a nowhere to hide you had to you know they there really wasn't and I, I don't I don't know if I have the full data to support this but it felt like in France there was a lot of medium length par fours where Get it in the fairway. You're going to have a wedge to short iron in with it's a very standard shot. 
which was a great strength for the European team. And they just beat our ass on that. This was like pound a drive. We're going to have plenty of long iron shots and a bunch of really sh- like not medium length, but short ish par fours that like you could maybe get close to, but it's going to be kind of a pitch and putt at that point and not really be a 120 yard uh, contest, if you will. And that I thought played into the U.S.'s hands. I just watched so many shots on that seventh tee all week, and it just felt like the U.S. just got closer, continually got closer to the hole. I feel like people say so many times it's about who makes more putts, and I really, you know, in certain courses it can be, but this was never going to be one of those golf courses. And I think that that contributed to the margin of victory that we saw. Well, think about even 17. It was playing, what, like 223 on Sunday, and Morikawa hits it to three feet. Uh, Brooks almost makes a one on Sunday and you're like, what, what this is like, I, I mean, and, and it was almost like you, you, and I was glad that you, you, you had that dream team tweet in the queue for like two and a half days, basically. <laughs> but I was glad that you tweeted that because it just up and down the U S's roster. I mean, the, 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 we were talking about Bryson and Finau coming off the bench and it's kind of like, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but it's like, Holy hell. Like that is, that's insane like to have those guys coming in uh, off the bench and playing the way that they did and then i think the other thing i would say about the margin of victory is europe always has the guy that you like the rookie that you you're like oh, well, i don't know we'll see and he gets three points three and a half points mm-hmm. four points it was jamie donaldson in 2014 it was peter's at hazeltine and then it was fleetwood and molinari at 2018 and we thought that guy would be probably Hovland, maybe Lowry, you know, something in that kind of range. And it just didn't materialize. And I think that's, that is the primary reason this year that you see such a big margin of victory. Well, and we talked about this going into it too. It was like the U S had 12 of the top 16 players in this thing. Right. So if you take Scotty Scheffler, who was maybe the 12th guy on the team, he would be probably the fifth best player on Europe. And like asking him to carry that load, would be so different than what his role was. And it allowed him, I I go back to, I don't know, maybe I'll reference this interview for the 38th time uh, in the last month, the (laughs) McGinley thing with how he managed Graham McDowell and Victor Dubuisson, which was like, here's what you're going to do. And you're going to go in, like go back and listen to that part. And guess what's going to happen? The Americans are going to put their top guy in this spot. He's going to be coming off four matches. And he got, uh, Graham McDowell was coming off two foursomes matches. He went out first, and they, what did he do? He drew Jordan Spieth, who was exhausted, and he went. Spieth got the lead, and then McDowell just outlasted him, won the match. What happens with Scotty Scheffler? He comes off the bench, plays his two four-ball matches, draws John Rahm in the fourth slot, a dream matchup for the U.S. It was number 12 for versus number one. Rahm's exhausted, having played four matches. Scheffler's fresh and goes out and beat him. Like It's just like that was emblematic of just the, the depth and the – just the the dream team like it is a total dream team and it really honestly hit me on uh sunday singles i stood on the bridge you and i stood on the bridge there yeah. for a little while watching between two and three and between six and seven it was probably the best viewing spot and watch patrick cantley go by for his singles match against shane lowry and i just kind of i was like holy i haven't even watched this guy play golf this week and that yeah. is he's the, he was the pga tour player of the year he's the fedex cup champion he won four times this year and he's like just a guy on this team. And it just kind of really hammered home how special that was uh, was to watch. Did it make for a boring Sunday? Sure. But I mean, it like, I don't know. It, it, it's, it really does feel like a new era this time. I mean, a boring Sunday 
kind of like you always knew the outcome, but I, sure. I still felt like Sunday felt like the most, it, it kind of felt like the most chaotic day. And maybe that was because we were there for the Rory thing, or maybe it was because we we're running all over the property, trying to figure <laughs> out where it was going to end. I don't know what it was, but it, it, it still felt like Sunday was really memorable for, yeah. you know, not, not because it was like Celtic Manor or, or Medina or anything like that, but, but just, um, because it was, cause it's the Ryder cup and it's, and it's always, even when it's a blowout, it still feels incredibly special. The question I was thinking about today and, and I, I couldn't, I've got a couple answers to this, but I'm curious about what your answer is, is which guys, maybe a couple, maybe three, whatever, do you think about most differently now than, than a week ago, than before that, then like m Tuesday of the practice rounds going into the Ryder cup. Is, is there a, is there one or two, maybe three guys that stick out as, man, I, I just think about this guy differently, whether that's trajectory or what he's capable of or, or anything like that. It's a good question. Um, I think, I think Dustin Johnson, I think of differently in terms of like, he needed one of these Ryder cups, like in terms of his Ryder cup legacy, he has been the best American player for the last decade. Right. I mean, he's just the most consistent. He's hasn't had down years really mixed in there at any point. Um, it, other than I don't, you, I don't count suspensions as down years and like he hadn't like quarterbacked a team and like he did it five and oh is, is, is like, yeah. that is airy territory, right? Like that's, that's way up there. Bryson being able to like thrive in a team environment and play his role and embrace everything and, you know, kind of have a week that looks so unlike every other week for him. I think of him differently. I don't necessarily think that changes the trajectory for him or what I think of him normally, but like that, I, I did not know he could do that. I really didn't know he was capable of that. Scheffler, I wouldn't quite say. I just because I think he's been on this trajectory. I think this is validating on that front. I know he hasn't won, and some people would question his record, but um, you know, I if I'm being honest, the more I'm thinking about this, like the the this is one of the few Ryder Cups that doesn't feel like it's cementing something. And maybe that's because I'm hesitant to overreact like a Thomas Peters or Nicholas Pulsart's crazy good week because we've seen some of those players kind of fizzle out and it really not change what you think of them. But I don't know. I hope Scotty Scheffler doesn't have to buy a drink next time he gets in goes into a bar. You know, like so <laughs> I think there's some guys that like you should you, people should tip their cap and appreciate the what they were able to put forward on this team. But uh, I don't know if it changes the way I think about anyone. I, what do you think? Uh, I I think, and this this might this is going to sound dumb because he just won two major championships. But every time Morikawa does something like like win the PGA, win the Open, go what did he go three three and one three zero oh and one three zero oh and one three zero oh and one. I'm like, man, he is so just, he's so good. And he got DJ and that was helpful. I mean, D DJ going from, I, 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 I don't know all his partners throughout the years, but I know he had Kucher. I know he had, Ricky. I mean, it, it, yeah, to go, to go to Mark Allen and Xander. I mean, that's, <laughs> and again, it goes back to the, to the no holes thing. I mean, it's like, what are you thinking if you're yeah. Paul Casey getting DJ three times with Morikawa? You're like, well, I, I don't know, man. Like, what do you, what do you want me to do here? <laughs> so, I think, uh, I think Morikawa. I think a little bit Shane Lowry. I, I think Lowry. He didn't play magnificently, but he did. 
he embraced the Ryder Cup in a way that he's got some capital to spend at fut- like in f- in fu- in future situations where he could be a captain's pick. Uh, that that maybe I didn't know that would take place. I don't really think about Hovland differently. He he played well. I thought he would play well. His record doesn't really reflect that. Um, I, I I say he played well. He played well in a couple matches. He played okay in a couple yeah. others. Short game um, so, yeah. is a question mark for Hovland still. I for think, sure. You know, it really is. And I think if if anything, I you know I've heard a lot from European fans of the you know we've keep, we've been challenging them on the young up and coming crew and if that really exists. And the more I've thought about, it, the more I'm like, you know what? This might be like an internal look thing, right? Between Hovland and Rory, like you're at least getting closer to this thing. If you get normal rec- like. Hovland went 0 3 and 2, and Rory went 1 and 3. Like you got, you went 1 6 and 2 between those two. You flip it between those two, you have a closer Ryder Cup, and you would get performances out of them and records out of them that you would expect. It's obviously a much closer Ryder Cup. You put it back in Europe, and you probably are getting squeezing a couple of extra points out of those matches in some way. And you're adding in some replacement talent for, you know, maybe Fitzpatrick, could be, uh, you know, Lee Westwood, obviously, am I expecting Wiesberger to be there next time around? Probably not. And then we're talking about a competitive Ryder Cup team, right? It, it, it looks horrific on paper, but you flip a couple of those things and it, it all of a sudden starts, it paints a very different picture. Well, I, yeah, and I, th- I think, you know, everybody keeps talking about, oh, the, the lack of depth, the lack of depth. It, it was almost as if, I don't, I don't know that Europe has ever been extraordinarily deep, like at the, like the bottom of their roster, but what they have had is, they haven't had a lot of like they've they've had more guys that have thrived at the top and yes. what happened was those top guys kind of fell back into this middling group that you just you just get smoked when when you have more talent a more talented team on a course that fits them well so i don't i don't even know that you have to say oh you know we can't have uh Weisberger in 2023 what are we going to do to replace him it's more like man who's going to like roll with Rom uh in 2023 who who are those like four or five guys at the top I I, I think I think that's what I believe I don't know man I so much of this stuff I'm like I think I said something differently like 10 days ago so <laughs> I, I I I just I twist myself in knots with what I think one question that I sorry to ask you all these questions but so the Bryson thing, I wanted to talk about that because it was, we were out on 13 on Friday when he, oh you know, unsheaths Excalibur and <laughs> holds it over his head. I mean, it got lost because he does such preposterous things that the not as preposterous things get buried. He flexed over his head on on Sunday morning, on Sunday afternoon against Sergio on the first tee. Like he was like entering this, WWE ring. Did you see this <laughs> when he came into the arena? I I was up top, so I don't. I kind of you couldn't see players walk in. He was introduced, and he and he turns to every every side and just holds his hands over his head like a. I mean, like a lunatic. Uh, <laughs> so so here's the thing I was thinking about because and then, we well, talk about and then he drove the green and made eagle like that. A true lunatic. Yes, I mean it. it up and down from 355 on Sunday. On against Sergio to start the match. It's one of those like meme things that we dream of when we do like in the preview pod. Like, what if Bryson gets up and drives the green and make eagle? And he did it against on Sunday singles. Sergio made a three and got beat on that hole. He brought uh, Sergio's head back on a spike. <laughs> so 
we talk about how the Ryder Cup is amazing because, and we'll talk about the Rory thing later on, but I, I was texting with him on Sunday night about the event. And we were talking about how it's like the purest form of golf. Like that, that was kind of what he said, not me. And I agree. But at the same time, it's also this kind of like exhibition. Like you got Bryson running around like a, like a carnival barker, you know, just like insanely. And I'm, I wonder how it can be both at the same time. Right. Because it is like, it is very pure in some ways. And yet it's also this absurd exhibition in other ways. Did you feel that when you were there? And, and what, like, how do you reconcile those two things? I struggle with that too. And it, uh, it, it honestly, the piece you wrote that we'll, we'll talk a lot about made, it helped make a lot of sense to me. Or it, it's something that I can kind of, I kind of do Alonzo morning GIF when I look at like the insane <laughs> amount of people that are walking inside the ropes. Like, what are we doing here? So-and-so's dad's <laughs> wife's cousin is here. And like, there's kids walking inside the ropes yes. and all that. And I was kind of like, this is absurd. And it's also like, you know what? This is probably the coolest thing ever for the players. And, yeah. you know, for this, like once, you know, once a year we do this once every two years for the Ryder cup and for the Americans, you do it once a year of like just this whole family affair and how it is, you know, the wives being involved is probably like an underrated or an underwritten about, you know, an undercovered part. I, I know there's wag slideshows out there. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just like, <laughs> Like what these guys, how these guys speak of this event, it yeah. it comes from a place of like, and and I don't know, maybe we'll just let's just get into this now of like the loneliness of pro golf being a very real thing. We touched it, I know, on our Sunday recap pod, but like these guys, like I, 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 I again, this I'll make people I'll roll eyes uh, again here, but like I played a lot of tournament golf in the last two years. The goal was, you know, with this was to like do a documentary about. How, basically showing how good tour players are and what it'd be like to try to qualify for the U.S. Open. But in the, within three months of doing it, I was stunned how much time I spent on my own, like yeah. on my own practicing, on my own in a car getting somewhere, on my own in a hotel in a random city. And it was like, the like I'm not exaggerating, probably the loneliest time I've ever had in my life. Never when I lived in Europe, never in college, never when I lived in Chicago was I spending so much time on my own. And like, it was not depressing because I was doing, I was doing, it was, you know, it was kind of fun in a weird way, but it was lonely. The most too, fun I've had playing golf in the last couple of years was one, the foursomes event that Neil and I played in the FSGA foursomes where I had a teammate hit half the golf shots, but got to do it with a teammate in a, yeah. in a, in a tournament like that, like resonated with me. It was like, Oh my God, how much more fun just team golf is. So when you're talking about that being the purest form, it's like, man, like how, how, I don't know. What, what did Rom say to us on Sunday? Like we were, uh, you know, he's like, did you guys have a good week? I was like, yeah, it's the best week of the year. He's like, you think it's good for you? Like imagine how we feel like that's, yeah. that's the feeling I walked away from. Totally. And I, it's almost as if this might be a really dumb analogy, but I've made certainly worse ones on this podcast before. Uh, it, it would almost be as if like imagine a bunch of NFL players live in the same community and they, they play their games on Sundays. And then on a random like Thursday night, they started playing a pickup flag football game in the front yard and the whole neighborhood showed up and, and it's just like this huge crowd and they're playing pickup football and they're kind of showing off, like showing what they can do in a way that they wouldn't in a, in a regular NFL game. It almost feels like that because, and I think match play, 
lends itself to kind of showing off more like the some of the Bryson stuff and hey, I'm going to try this shot. If it doesn't work, then that's okay. We just lost the hole, but I'm going to try to do something really special. It's, it's very extreme in that way. And I just feel like I, it, 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 so it at times feels like a front yard football game hmm. where these guys that are uber talented are just showing off for the neighborhood. And somehow that also doubles as like this really pure thing. That That's kind of how I have, I don't know, that's kind of how I viewed it over the last couple of years. Well, if you celebrate the way that Rory has done in the last several Ryder Cups, the way <laughs> JT does, if you do that in a stroke play event, like people will just hate you. Like you can't do that. You're not afforded that opportunity, right? This is the one time where you can, I mean, people still might hate you, you know, if, you know, if they, if you don't celebrate in the way that they like, but yep. like, this is your one time to like do something as a group, have a totally different purpose. I thought your, your piece like the, that you wrote was, it was incredible. And it really hammered home for me that the part of just like, uh, help me, help me get there. I forget what exactly it was. Just like failing together can be better than succeeding on your own. What did you, yep. what do you mean by that? Well, and I don't know that players, if they heard that, they'd be like, eh, I, I don't know, like we want to, <laughs> we want to win. And of, of course, but listen, it crystallized for me. Uh, we're sitting there talking to John Rahm, the best player in the world, the best player in the world for honestly, like the last three or four years, probably on the 17th hole and that he is getting his ass kicked, right? Like not him. Per, well, he, he just had gotten his ass kicked yeah. by Scotty Scheffler, but again, more is hitting it to three feet. Kepka's nearly making a one. I mean, it, it, it's it's literally unfolding on that hole, and we're and we're all sitting there watching it. And what did he say? He said, "I just I won the U.S. Open three months ago, and that doesn't that doesn't hold a candle to to this, and to playing with Sergio and what that meant to him." And yeah, yeah, and he and he said it again in the presser, and I was glad that he did because. I, actually, I was glad that he said it to us because I think sometimes in the press, you're like, oh, well, they're just saying stuff. He said that to you and I yeah. with nobody else around and just, just you know, talking, just just talking about the Ryder Cup week. And that was like really, I mean, Shane Lowry going uh, one and two and saying, this is so much better than my Open Championship win. It's like, what? Like, you yeah. guys got <laughs> destroyed and yet... The, the way that they and Porath and I were texting about this, like this event. And I think the I think the Americans rose to the occasion on this specifically this year. But this event just revolves so much around the Euros and how they revere it and how much they enjoy it and just how meaningful it is uh, to them. And I think that's rubbed off. Honestly, I, I think it's rubbed off on guys like Spieth, uh, maybe JT. God, how many times do we hear from? euro people this week like how loath jt is oh and i heard it from people within my own <laughs> camp it's it, the call is coming from inside the house <laughs> but yeah that that's kind of that the rom thing is is exactly what i meant by hey failing together can be more meaningful than winning the u.s open by yourself and not that that's not meaningful it is it, it, it's it's the other 103 weeks of these every two years but this one week is just the galvanization of those relationships that lasts far longer than uh, winning at Torrey Pines over Rory and Bryson. Well, and that's what the European team tour, whatever, does such a great job with in terms of like their team room stuff. It's extremely real. We've documented this, just this effect and like the stuff that they've done 
with like their their. It, I mean, we, we kind of made fun of it a little bit in terms of the fact that they compared that more people have been to space than have played for the European <laughs> Ryder Cup team. But like when they introduced the rookies in the team room this week, they announced like player number one sixty two. Bernd Wiesberger, player 163, like to a raucous applause after they show the video in the room that brings in other European legends. It makes you feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself. It makes it's a feeling that you're just never gonna get it, like making you feel that honor of playing for the European team. And I go back to Rory going out first Sunday, like he spoke about like not under like, having appreciation for. The fact that that is not something handed out to anyone, the spot of going number one. And he got it even after going 0-3. And that, you know, just like, I don't know, that that kind of nostalgia, I don't know if that's the word, but that kind of like sense of history in terms of like, this matters, okay? This is going to matter. It's going to matter in two mm -hmm. years. It's going to matter in 10. This week matters a lot. Uh, I think really resonated with people, has always resonated with the Europeans. And I feel like we have finally turned the corner I don't know if this is when we start talking Tigerless and Phyllis teams, but like <laughs> this is different. This is very different in terms of what I think is going on on the U.S. side. Well, do you want, should we do the whole Rory thing now, or should we save it for later? Uh, let's save it for later because I want to talk. Okay. Let's talk about this this U.S. team, right? Because I want to. I want to. Well, I'll, I'll say this, and we'll come back to the rest of the Rory thing later. But when I talked to him on Monday. First of all, it was surreal, and and we can get more into the conversation later. But I'm in the Green Bay Airport. It, I mean, just this kind of no offense, Green Bay people of Green Bay, but kind of a dumpy, like not just rundown old place. And and you're talking to like the like a like a one of the best golfers of the last you know 30 years about why he broke down on Sunday at the Ryder cup. And it, it was a very, like, it was a very professionally surreal moment for me. And we talked for a while. We talked for like 30 minutes, but, and we'll, t I, I'll tell you more about what he said later on. But the one thing about what you said, like that, the going out first thing, that's real. Like that, I, I think that on the American side, I, maybe it's a, maybe it's a big deal. I don't, I don't know. I, they, they have not talked about that a ton for the euros. And 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 uh, Paul McGinley talked about this. Going out first is m monumental. Mm -hmm. And Rory was slated. And people have probably read it, or I, I don't know. It, if you haven't, go go read it if you have a chance on CBSSports.com. But Rory was slated to go 11th, and he told he he told me he was like Graham McDowell, and I think I think maybe some other guys were like, hey, it's Sunday at the Ryder Cup. Rory McIlroy does not go out 11th. Yeah, and he was like. That meant so much to me. And I think this, this is where his like self-awareness and consciousness comes in of like another generational player would be like, yeah, of course, like I'm not going out 11th. But he was, he was like humbled by it. And he goes, I, I couldn't sleep on Saturday night because I didn't want to let down the guys that believed in me that said, you're going out first. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, it's, Listen, like we understand that this is just golf. It's just a sport, whatever. But it was like really meaningful the way that he was. I'm going to get emotional talking about it. It was really meaningful to him. And the way that he talked about it made it really meaningful to me. And he was like, I didn't sleep. I, j I didn't want to lose another point. And I think that was, it was almost, I, I think everybody thought he was crying because he had let the team down. And that was maybe some of it. 
But I think a lot of it was actually because he hadn't, because he had succeeded in not letting them down further mm. and not getting hammered by Reed like he did in, or not hammered, but beat by Reed like he did in 16, beat by JT uh, like he did in 18 out of that first position. So that was, I think that to me provided a little bit more of context of kind of why he was so emotional afterward. Yeah. And it's hard to, Rory's at a, at a weird, just a weird, let's just do Rory now. We're, we're there already. So, <laughs> sorry, uh, I'm sorry. no, it, it's hard to figure out where Rory is and we're working on getting him back on the podcast. And I think we'll hopefully get some answers to that in terms of like, we've never seen that kind of performance out of him in a Ryder cup, like making yep. you no know, birdies and four ball, whatever that was. I mean, I don't mean an Eagle, but I mean, he was just not, it, 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 you can mistake that for their lack of being a lack of passion there. And I maybe have made that mistake. I don't know if I've made that statement directly, but it just has felt like, man, what are we, what are we doing here? Like you're it, again, back to the JP thing. Like you're Rory F and McElroy. Like this shouldn't be, yeah. shouldn't be happening. And maybe that weight is kind of starting to get to him of like, man, I've let myself myself down for many, many months now. And now I'm letting my team down and I don't know what the answer is that kind of also contributed to breaking him in terms of like, Maybe I think he just kind of this is total projection, which we do a lot with Rory, but just held out <laughs> held out this hope that like I'll summon it at the Ryder Cup. Like when the crowds yeah. get going and you know, when JT's running around fist bump, like, you know, putting his hand his uh, hands up to his ears, like that's gonna motivate me to just wanna like whoop ass. And then when that yeah. didn't happen, it was just like, Whoa, what was this year? Like this was like the, one of the most tiring years that any of us, you know, maybe last 15 months that any of us ever have. And I almost have nothing to show for it at the end of it. Bang. Like I, and I'd let my team down. All that just had to be just, just, just too much for him. But that's interesting about didn't sleep either too. Cause like I'm, when I get like five, six hours of sleep, the tiniest little thing can like bring tears to my eyes. Like you, you yep. just are a little extra crankier and then you try to stop and it like doubles down. And uh, I think that, I don't know, that could be a contributing factor to him kind of breaking down. Well, there. I think uh, there was, there was so much that we talked about and I, I you know, I, I've heard you say like, you never know how much he's very open and you're like, I don't know what to share. I don't know what to not share. I, sh I shared some stuff with you that I probably shouldn't share on here, but <laughs> I, I will say, uh, you know, one thing he said to me is like, man, I, I, I asked him, I was like, are you overwhelmed by the last 12 years of being Rory McIlroy? Are you burned out by being, by being Rory for 12 straight years? And he's like, no, not really. He's like, I'm, I am burned out by the last 18 months. Yeah. And he was like, I think the thing that has burned me out a little bit is I'm working my ass off and the results are not there. Hmm. And I thought that was interesting because I, I think we've, we've all projected pretty much everything you can project on him, but I thought that was intriguing. And then the other thing that he said, and we talked, I asked him about the Pringle story. I asked him about everything. And he said, he goes, I used to play with Tiger and I would kind of like just do this double take of, of how conservative he was like uh, in, in the way that he played like, dude, you, you've won everything. Like what, just go for it. Like, what do you, what, why are you, why are you playing like this? And he said, it's, as I get older, I, th I think the older we get, the more conservative we become as humans, just in our choices and the way that we do things, we, it, it's harder for us to take risks. I asked him about the Patrick Harrington loss of innocence quote. He's like, yeah, that's yes. You know, all of that. And he said something along the lines of like, I'm, I'm, ch I, I find myself chasing the freedom 
that I had when I was 25 years old, when it, you know, the summer of 2014 that we always talk about. And I said, man, is that, is that even feasible? Like, can you, like, is that, can you even capture that? <laughs> and then I compared, uh, it, it, I always, I'm sure he loves it when we do this. I said, you know, Hazeltine, like for me and Solly was like this magical thing that it can't ever happen again because it was new and it was different. And, and maybe some of what we do now is better, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't as, as wonderful as it was then. And he, and, and he agreed with that. So I think he's, he's kind of stuck between like chasing this freedom and innocence that he had when he was 25 uh, and, and, and trying to find that, but also like, you know, not being able to like physically do some things that he could do when he was 23, 24, 25 uh, as well. And then trying to apply the wisdom that he's gained uh, to that freedom, like that is a really difficult thing to do. And that's the Padraig Harrington quote that I, I will reference forever of like, there's this really tiny, like space and time. Morikawa is there right now. We talked about this a couple of podcasts ago where you have an overlap of innocence and wisdom. And that is like, I think that's what we saw with Rory. I think that's what we are seeing with Morikawa. And it's just really hard to recapture that the older you get. What's the, what's the Pringle story again? he just went out on the European tour and he was in South Korea and he was homesick. He was like 20 years old and he found himself eating a can of Pringles uh, at the end of his bed and just crying. Cause he was so homesick and he didn't, he didn't want to be out on tour anymore. Hmm. And he was like, I mean, he, it was like very early on in his career and we were kind of laughing about that. And that's not like, <laughs> that's certainly not the way that he travels or does things anymore, but it, it, that that to me has always been emblematic of the way professional golfers like how weird their lives are and and i asked him about that i was like your, your life is so weird it's so unique it's so different and i think that gets back to like why this week for not just the guys on the team but also their wives he talked about like how special it was for all of their wives and girlfriends and their families to get together it's not just Rory and uh, Rom and Hovland getting together. It's also like their wives and their friendships and like everything that has kind of you pass, uh, you cross paths over the last couple of decades, but you don't congregate except for that Ryder Cup week. Yeah. And I think that's that plays into why it's such a meaningful week. Well, it's also got to be uh, talk, speaking to the exhaustion and the repetitiveness and loneliness of pro golf. Like if you're a great player, like a really good player, for a major championship, when you go put the peg in the ground, you have like a 4% chance of winning it, right? And yeah. in theory, when you show up for a Ryder Cup, you have like a 50% chance of winning. Like how much easier is that to get up for? Like, I just got to I gotta do this and we're going to win. Like that has got to be, I don't know, one of the many, many reasons. You, you know what? Also, I decided I'm going to make a pledge. I'm done kind of just shitting on the President's Cup. You know, I, I freaking, <laughs> I love team golf so much and like, I, 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 I've for too long, I've, I've given that event a hard time. It has a lot to do with the venues and it's, it, they could do a lot more things to spice it up, but like, you know what, we're going to watch team golf happen again. Yes. It's globe trotters versus the generals. And it's not going to, that results are not going to change anytime soon. I don't think, but like we get to go watch more of the team golf. And that is a change of pace from the stroke play stuff. Royal Melbourne was great. It was I mean, fantastic. It was, it was really fun. And maybe that's a venue thing. I, I, we 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 talk the venues up a ton in terms of their importance. I I I don't 
I don't know whether we're like way overrating it or like doing it the proper amount or whatever, but Royal Melbourne made that event, I felt like, really wonderful. And I don't know that Quell Hall is going to do the same thing, but yeah, I'm I'm in on team events as well. Yeah. Well, all right. So I have this kind of written down. I'm sure we in our post-mortem in 2016, we were you know, giddy and it, you're exactly right in terms of like, I, cause I didn't quite have the same experience this Ryder cup as we did in 2016. And I don't, I think that we probably never will. Right. I mean, we were both really young into this job. I was doing this part-time living on the other side of the world and just got to like do stuff and have access to stuff that I just never dreamed would ever happen. Whistling was just not nearly as intimate, you know, on a personal level, like just didn't have the same kind of interactions and, and whatnot. And it was honestly a lot harder work getting around that place, but 2016, great win, did not lead to anything in 2018. So are we overreacting to this crazy result? And if we're not, why why is this one different? Well, it's different because you don't have, you know, 36-year-old Zach Johnson, 34-year-old Ryan Moore, 35-year-old Matt Kuchar. It's like, okay, well, what's the what is the runway for those guys over the next 10 years? It, it's maybe, I mean, DJ was what, 33. And so there's runway for him. Jimmy Walker was on that team at like 30. I was an older team and this is not an older team. And it's eight guys in their twenties. I think, right. Kepka's not English is not Finau's not DJ's not. I think those are the only, the only four that are in their thirties. Uh, so that that to me right there is like, and, and listen, like not all these guys are going to be on the team in, in 2023, but there's a through line of guys that have, I think, extraordinary buy-in to this, to this event. People can holler about JT and whatever, but the thing you and I were talking about going in and while we were at Whistling Straits is like, some of it is insane and he's probably chugging beers on the first tee is not the greatest thing in the world, but like... <laughs> He's the guy that'll just be like, he, he makes the event kind yeah. of, you know, like I, I think that's all part of it. Like you, there, there's value for the event as a whole and having a villain. And I think what he's doing is like complete buy-in to the event. And think about Phil and Tiger doing that in like 2006. Come on. No, that's not going to happen. I, I was and, screaming on the previews for like people to what I was saying, sell out for the team, like make yourself yeah. look dumb. Like that's what the Europeans do. Like they'll go do dumb, silly stuff, run on the greens. And that's like JT leading the charge on that. And other people like, I don't know, some of the stuff that doesn't show up on TV, just watching the other U.S. players, like not just for the cameras, not just raw, raw. I'm out here cheering you on. It's like they're genuine, like sitting together on hills, chatting up, getting their wives involved. And they're, their enjoyment of being around each other felt very different, even than that 2016 team, I'd say. Yeah, totally. And I I go back to the uh, the Rory Reed match in in 16, and there, that little Euro group was chanting. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. They were chanting, "Patrick Reed is terrified. Rory's on fire." Yeah. Patrick Reed is terrified. Rory's on fire, and Rory's like dancing, and like it sounds like a like a minute detail, but all the U.S. guys are just you know the DJ like hand doesn't get above the waist like wave, <laughs> waving at the crowd type thing that's like that's all they do and yeah. it's like uh, does that mean you're gonna win a Ryder cup no like it you like because you dance or because you act like a lunatic doesn't mean that you're gonna win the Ryder cup but it does mean i think that you have buy-in to the team in a way that is really meaningful to engender the trust needed to like have great competitive weeks at this event in the future. 
And that's not like we have, you know, that's a bit of an intangible thing, but we also have tangible examples of that going horribly wrong for the U.S. in the most recent Ryder Cup. 2018, Reed was not bought into whatever they were cooking up, right? And I look at like Reed's role in that was, oh gosh, it was a tough one. He had to go play with Tiger Woods, uh, <laughs> you know, and that that was an issue for him. And Tiger, of course, apologized for how he played, but like... <laughs> Like, think about this, though. Bryson was assigned, you're going to play only four ball. Like, hey, dude, you won the U.S. Open last year. You have been a yep. fantastic yep. player. But, like, here's your job. Here's what you're going to do. Like, that could have gone the other way if Bryson didn't buy into it. And he did. And, like, you know, Daniel Berger, probably not one of the, you know, alphas on the team. Like, hey, you're all, you're not going to play your own ball till Sunday. Like, that's not great. But, like, here's what your role is going to be for this team. And I don't know. It worked out just just tremendously. And I don't know. I, I, I It feels different. It really, really does. And I think we have a core eight that, barring injury or a complete loss of play, will be there in at Marco Simone uh, in 2023. Which you scouted. I'm ready. You want to go into that? We can go there now if you want. I mean, <laughs> uh, real quick, I, I, we should mention Kepka because I think I was really – probably overly hard on him coming into the week some of it he deserves some of it was like i think build up of other just nonsense that he's done that was kind of like you were kind of unleashing on a little bit or i was there was a moment on sunday where nine matches were done everybody's on the the 18th green phil's doing interviews on the green during the Ryder cup which was weird <laughs> but dj's on like his third drink and brooks I don't know if you saw this, but Brooks turned around and said he was yelling at Jenna, his fiance, and said, hey, hey, we're going to go watch the end of Boog's match if you if you want to come with us. And it, I don't know if he was like leading the team out there, but everybody like all those guys were running back to the uh, 17th or 16th, 17th um, holes. And it's a again, it's a tiny, tiny detail. Yeah. It's, it's not uncommon at events like this. It's probably happened before. But it kind of stood out to me because, like, th those matches were really close. They were probably getting to 18 anyway. It would have been really easy just to sit there, have a drink, watch everybody come in. But Kepka was like, hey, we're going back out there. And I think he deserves some credit for that. I, I don't want to, like, I give him too much credit. Yeah. <laughs> but that, to me, was a little bit of, the, of a microcosm of kind of what we're talking about. To go along with this quote of, like, Hey, it's a lot more fun than I've had on teams in the past. And I don't know what that was referencing, but it was referencing something in either 16 or 18, maybe Reed, because Reed was on both of those teams, maybe the Tiger and Phil black hole thing that we've talked about for a long time. But I thought that was a pretty uh, interesting thing on Sunday. And they said this in their presser too. It was like, hey, this kind of, you know what helps? It's like, we've kind of like all known each other since junior golf. Like not literally everyone, yep. but like, seven of that eight core group of guys like has known each other in some capacity for a really long period of time. And like, yeah, is Kepka like bonding with JB Holmes in the 2016 locker room a lot? Or, <laughs> I forgot about JB Holmes. Yeah. Or Brant Snedeker or Matt Kuchar. Like it's a, just a different thing. And I, I, I don't think you can sit and fake enjoying being around each other. Right. And Europe has had real enjoyment of getting around each other that has spanned generations for a really long period of time. Like, Poltz has, uh, you know, Sergio has a tremendous effect on John Rahm, and he talked about that. Poltz is obviously a great effect on anyone in that in that locker room, but I don't think that has been the case in prior U.S. teams. So, like, the kind of dragging some of those personalities 
into these later these teams later in the decade has just not allowed a natural team dynamic to develop. And I feel like they I, this really, I don't think they're ever going to get to the all the way to the European way of doing it. You know, in terms of the kumbaya stuff. And I don't, but I don't think they need to. I think they just have to no. like have buy-in yeah. and trust in the captain. They have to have a captain that doesn't have a big ego and doesn't have too much pride in the pairings and like honestly just runs the playbook the way Stricker did. A little nervous about the next one in that regard, but uh, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll see how that works out. Well, I thought it was interesting that it was, it was very much, and Roy touched on this as well, it was like, hey, we knew this was kind of the end of an era for Euro um, Ryder Cups, like these kind of lions that have been so good for the last – 10, 12, 14 years. And it was, and he didn't talk about this, but I'm saying that end of an era for Europe is very much, I think, the beginning of an era for the US or could be. Now, uh, Spieth uh, talked about this in the presser and he kind of called a shot a little bit when he said, yeah. hey, if we play like this in, in uh, Rome, it's going to be the same score. And you're like, whoa, like, can we just, can we get to like 20, 2022 before we start talking about that but not only that he's, he's right he singled out he kind of you know xander kind of dismissed yeah. the question and he butted in to be like as someone who was on two losing teams you know in europe i would say there is unfinished business and for sure and he's right you, you can't you can't lose there for 30 straight years yeah and say oh we we kind of own the Ryder cup now right. you got to go do it there and probably a couple times how about spieth being like the adult in the room by the way yeah. how old does that make you feel that's bizarre and I, I his statement was bold but it was not yeah we're gonna go put up the same score over there it was like hey yeah. if we go yeah. play our golf it, it, this is what's <clears> gonna happen again like our team is that good and i saw some people saying like i don't know add in some new euro players and all this stuff it's like no no the point was like this team plays that well again like there's you're not stopping them. I'm sorry. Like is some is it expected there would be some kind of regression to the mean, maybe a little bit in how they play and how the teams shake out? Sure. But like if the team goes over there and takes care of business, they will win the 2023 Ryder Cup. Yeah. Right. yeah. That's easy. I mean, that's that's easy to say for almost any team, right? But if we're talking about a supremely talented team going and taking care of business yet, like if Europe came over this time around and took care of business in quotes, whatever that would mean. That does not mean they would have won, right? They just did not have the talent to match. Before we got on the podcast, I compared myself to Lee Westwood because I am just exhausted. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like summonsing whatever's left in the tank for this final match. I'm going on, I'm going on vacation tomorrow. This is my last Ryder Cup thing for the, maybe yeah. for the year. This may be my last Ryder Cup podcast. You know, you never know. <laughs> what else? What else do we want to talk well, about? I, was, so I don't mean to happened. laugh at that too much because like, Hearing Poltz and Westwood's, you know, answers to those questions and like oh. their stuff was just like, man, that just made me feel super justified for caring this much about this event. Right. I mean, it, yeah. it's kind of silly how much we talk about it, but like seeing that in the players and players that are just I've watched like Lee Westwood and Ryder Cups literally my whole Ryder Cup career, you know, like 99s what got me into this thing really as a kid. And, you know, he was on that team and I, I, I don't know, I. It's weird to have just reverence and respect, even for Poulter, man. Like, I love to hate Poulter, but it comes from a place of like, dude, you ripped our hearts out, man. Like, I'm not going to get over that that quickly. I'm going to hate you for another decade after that. But like, it doesn't mean that I can't like tip my cap and respect you, obviously, as a competitor and what you've brought to this event. There was one point on Sunday where he got a, I think it was on 16. He had beaten Finau and the crowd on 16 gave him a standing ovation. And I thought that was so That's awesome cool. because it, 
yeah, like he is so fun to root against, just like the Euros love rooting against JT now. But it it was a moment where the crowd truly understood like, hey, this is like the the last 20 years have really mattered and this event matters. And it, dude, I, I thought there was a lot more crying. There was a lot more emotions this time around than in 2016. I, I don't oh, remember yeah, yeah. that many that many people. I mean, Stricker was crying all week. Westwood was crying. Obviously, I mean the Rory thing on sixteen was like you are you, you were you couldn't get words out after that. You were shook. I was so shook because it was like you felt the the you felt the tide like rolling in on this massive American win, and it was like kind of this feeling of euphoria in the air from the crowd and also from us. But <laughs> but the, and then the the Rory thing happens and he goes up to his wife and she's she's like, you know, I love you. And he just is like sobbing and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is this is it, it I mean he said it like it it's the best because what that's that's not happening no. at even the players championship or the PGA champion. It just doesn't happen. Right. And it's not fake. It's a real thing. And it's just, it, it's the coolest experience to have in, in this job. And I texted you this on Sunday night. I was like, I can't, I can't believe this is a real job. Right. I can't, I can't really get to do this and go to Ryder cup. So I, I, you know, we can talk about a ton of other stuff, but I, I want, I want people to know how appreciative I am of just being able to cover this stuff and talk about it and, and play just a tiny tiny role in in uh, the entire thing amen to that man it's uh it's the highlight of of doing this job i'd say is anything Ryder cup related that week and that event and uh i just uh i, I don't even want to say it wish we do it every year but <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe i i joke that we should maybe do it twice a year. i mean who, who knows <laughs> fall spring uh yeah, I mean, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, the Packers and Bears play it every other year instead of twice a year. Why would, why would you do that? But gosh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where we go from that. Other than like, let, let's talk a little future, right? I mean, we we've gotten a little pushback from people. European fans are, are you know warning us about the Hogard twins. Uh, oh my gosh, I know. Which listen, Rasmus Hogard has has won three times on the European tour. Is a, he's on a he's on a rocket ship. I, I would say let's have the the Hovland thing materialize first before we, you know, get super hyped about, you know, these hypothetical things, which I think like where I keep netting out is I see a ton of names on the European team that get thrown out, right? Bob McIntyre, you know, uh, Guido Migliosi that are just <laughs> like are probably going to fit. And they, I, everyone keeps thinking I'm taking shots at Bernd Wiesberger. I'm really not. It's just like. There is a huge, huge difference between, and I talked about this on the Sunday pod, like the guys that gain like between 1.5 and two shots per round and like the guys that gain between like 0.8 and one shots around. The European team has so many prospects in that 0.8 to one that like, I don't, it's just going to take pressing the right button and grabbing one of those guys. It's going to turn into Francesco Molinari like performance in 2018. And that's going to be really hard to identify. And I, I, don't as we're sitting here now. Don't feel threatened about what's coming up the pipe. Like we haven't even factored what's coming down the road for the U.S. team, which I think outranks anything coming on the European side. And we're talking about coming off the greatest team we've ever had. Yeah, I I think one. So two things. One, Garrett Morrison tweeted this. He said Francesco Molinari did not play in the 2016 Ryder Cup. He was number 37 in the world, 
and not on anyone's radar, two years later, he went 5-0-0 in Paris. And so we don't know what's going to happen in Rome. But I, I will say on the U.S. side, I think I think there's a sense from guys like Will Zalatoris, like um, Matthew Wolf, like some of these younger players of – I'm sure they watched it, and it's like, man, I want to be a part of that. Yep. Right. I, I, I don't know how, like, and I don't, I don't know that that was the case in like, I don't know. Are you watching like Ryan Moore and Matt Kuchar in 2016 and saying, God, I can't wait to be a part yeah. of that. Maybe, I don't know, but I do think you're watching Spieth and JT and Xander and Cantlay and all these guys you've grown up with and that you play with who are like, I mean, these guys, these, these are who young guys want to be like and saying, God, I want to be part of that. And, and I think that's that shift for me, it's not huge, but I think it's different. And I think it provides a path forward for the U.S., even if some of their top guys fall off over the next two years. That was I talked to Harris English afterward. That was the first thing he said was like, oh, my God, now am I motivated to never miss one of these things again, right? And like that, he's yeah. right in that range of like probably fringe guy to be on the next team, would have to play some really great golf to make that team again. And like – factor in the motivation he's going to have to to want to be back on one of these things i mean it's it's gonna i i feel like this is going to build off of, off itself more than it is like a a flash in the pan in any way really i i think the only danger and i i mean this from the the u.s players side uh more so than myself or you because we will exceed the danger on this one it's just like getting overconfident right and 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 <laughs> assuming that you're you have a god-given right to these points that we're very, very hardly earned. I don't think that's going to happen with this group of guys. But man, I, don't, I mean, I, if we play devil's advocate, like DJ will be 39 at the next one. You know, Kepka's health is always a question mark. Bryson, how's that course fit going to be? You know, Cantley's they the you know, players came off incredible form coming into this, whereas Europeans came off you know not in great form. A lot can change, but after doing my intense scouting of Marco Simone. <laughs> who, who might be on the European team in, in 2023 for all we know. First reaction, it does not scare me as much as France. That's for sure. A little roomier than you'd think. It's a, it's it's up and down. It's you know it's not a flat golf course. I think that's a, uh, something that I, I'm a little nervous about as attending, going up and down some of these hills and whatnot. The greens are funky and messed up and weird and have not gotten good reviews, but Nothing jumped out at what I watched that would make that would scream like this is going to benefit the Europeans a lot. Now they could narrow the fairway some, they could grow the rough up if they wanted to, but it just it, it, it there's a difference when a lot of the holes I felt like at Le Golf National, you didn't have a run up possibility to get to the green. Like if you missed fairways, there's either water carrying it or the way the greens were greens were angled, like you were toast, like you were in trouble to try to get to some of those pins if you missed the fairway. It would just put a true emphasis on driving accuracy and a little bit of highlights and stuff that I watched. I don't get that impression. The greens are not protected in the front. If you do miss in the rough, it's, you can get up to those greens. You're going to be, you know, encouraged to hit a lot of drivers, I think out there. Um, and so it's not as neutralizing as France ended up being. And that's, again, that's looking at YouTube stuff. I, that's not a, a personal scouting of it, but it looks a lot more <laughs> like Celtic manner to me than it did, than it did for uh, France. So so one thing on this, well, two things. One, I and I've been yelling about this for two or three years now. Like, I don't know what the succession plan is for Europe, for, for Rome, right? Because 
I I don't know how this happened, but I compared Justin Rose and Henrik Stenson to Bartolo Colon before this um, before this ride. Were you standing there when, the, yeah. when I did that? <laughs> and like they're just innings eaters, right at the at the very top. So you can send them out at Hazeltine. You can send them out in Paris. You can send them out wherever. They're gonna play a lot of matches and they're gonna play them really well. I don't know what the succession plan is for Europe for those guys. It's Rom and Hovland and. I don't care about your uh, 0. 0.0 or 0.9 and 1.0 strokes gain guys. Fill them in, whatever. That doesn't matter. I'm, I get concerned when you get more 1.345 strokes gain guys at the very top. Then right. you can roll them out there three, four, five times, and it's like, okay, that's a, that's a, that's a problem. And then the other thing, Porath and I were texting about this on our, on our flights back on Monday – there's a real chance that because right now it's it's home 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 blowout 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 yep. blowout. There's a real chance that the U.S. goes to Rome and Spieth said it. If they play like that and they hammer him and JT is just out of his mind all week and like there's a there's a chance that this could get like really heated in a way that would like really tense building up to Beth page. Oh my God. That would be like, that would be kind of scary with guys like Rom and Hatton. Right. <laughs> and it <And> Rory <laughs> and yeah, oh gosh. Yeah. The Hazeltine thing was, <laughs> <laughs> you guys can't see Sully, but he's doing the, I can't hear you uh, right now. <laughs> through the video. Uh, yeah. Rory will be like, what? 36. Yeah. At, at Beth page. But I mean, you, you've covered 91 extensively. It was so tense and so heated. And I wonder if like some of the characters now with Rom JT, um, these guys that can get, I mean, it gets, it gets pretty, can get pretty testy at times. Yep. Sergio, obviously. Oh, uh, I wonder, I, I do wonder if that that's, a, I think that's a possibility in the future, which is both scary, but also like fun too. I think, I think that's part of the whole, you know, aura of the week. I said before 2016, I said the U.S. is going to win four out of five. Seeing what, you know, the one I was worried about was France. I was like, you know, I don't know if we're going to be all the way there with the youth. Having gotten two out of three of those, uh, really, it's the one like, I feel amazing about Beth Page. A lot can change before Beth Page, of course. But as with lining up now, I feel great about that, especially with how they've taken care of their home field advantage in the last several Ryder Cups, even counting Medina. I mean, that was an insane Sunday, but like, the U.S. has won 10 of the, uh, what well, they've won. What is it now? Like 14 of the last 16 sessions or something on American soil. Uh, it's yeah. been a do it has been dominance, right? And it just maybe hasn't gotten fully recognized because they can't go do it over in Europe. But man, it's hard to feel better about a team going into Europe two years from now. Like now I'm thinking about the, the forward momentum of rolling this right into the president's cup that I cannot imagine that they won't dominate. I'm like one to keep that team kind of the similar role into the next year. The question I have for you, and we're going to let you get out of here soon. Cause I know I'm keeping you from your vacation. What do you do? With, <laughs> what do you do with Reed? What if I Reed know, resurfaces? You got to make qualification, like four guys, right? Like a true hypothetical like, to this whole week. What if Reed had gotten vaccinated? Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> so right? I, I did, I made this I, yeah, I made this comparison on the first cut podcast, which is over at CBS sports on Sunday night. Th this U S team had a real feeling of like, uh, you know, like those Patriots teams where 
you can bring on one or two guys and you've got enough Brady's and uh, Julian Edelman's and whoever to absorb kind of the one or two guys it, coming into this week. We thought it was Brooks and Bryson and maybe it was, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what goes on at the team room or whatever, but I, I do think the foundation with like speed JT DJ, Morikawa, Xander, Zan- uh, Cantlay is strong enough that you can wrap it up. You Come on, kind you, of, you listen to me names. Come on, yeah, wrap it up. yeah. Finau, <laughs> that you can, that you can. I mean, how great was Finau? We haven't talked yeah. about him. Um, he was so fun to watch, but that you can absorb one, two, maybe three guys, uh, and just say like, "Hey, you, play you your know, role. We're taking you in. Do your thing." And I don't know. I think that might be the case now in a way that it just wasn't in the tiger and phil era maybe we're overrating that but i that that's my feeling with this kind of foundation well i like what they did too with a lot of the top guys like all right so bryson scotty and Berger. i think by my count are the only guys that only played with one partner right everyone else mixed up brooks and spieth went together jt and cantlay went together xander and i think markawa more Cal only, only went with DJ. DJ. You're right. You're right there. Yeah. But like four, like eight of the 12 guys played with different people. Right. So look, if Reed makes the team again, could we do a speed Reed session? Like, yeah, we probably could like, uh, you know, we're afforded that luxury um, at this point. And, and yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, a, a time like this to sit out one and have the team be the best team ever can't help Reed's case in terms of, you know, needing <laughs> to be on a team. But like, what if he plays his way onto the president's cup team? Like, you think he doesn't want to do that? Like, Oh my God, he's yeah. going to play every week now to try to get on that team. So <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a question mark forward, but gosh, yeah. Anything we're, yeah. Uh, anything it, we're leaving on the table here. It's so hard because, and nobody wants to hear about how difficult our week at the Ryder Cup was, but there's, there's so much that happens over the course of this tiny amount of time. And then you literally have two years to talk about it. And it's like, can we spread this out a little bit more? (laughs) But there there was just, there were so many little, like, you know, Steph and Phil fist bumping Bryson drives on the back nine on, on Friday. It's just like, this is a such a just surreal thing. You were you were you know dapping up Steph as we're walking to like the 14th green, and it's just it's such a it's just so unlike the rest of like my, at least my life. You know, it's 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 such a weird, unique, uh, and emotional and and fun week. And I'm trying to think of other other things that happened. We we stood on that bridge uh, by seven on Sunday for a long time, just watching. Shots into seven, shots into three, uh, shots kind of coming down six, which was really cool. Um, I don't know. What what other experiences know. did we have throughout? Well, good. I don't know about you, but I, I always feel constantly caught between this thing of like, this is a really cool thing that happened this week, but I don't know if I'm supposed to share that, right? Like John Rom coming up and giving us a ton of like great answers. Like I asked Rom, I was like, if you take these two teams, you play them, you run them out in France this week, what happens? And he kind of just sat there and thought about it for a long time. I don't think he, I think he was kind of like, all right, I, I can't tell these guys I think we would win, but he was pretty clear, like, yeah, it wouldn't be this score. Like it would be, it would just be different, which yeah. I agree. I completely agree with. And I'm I'd be super curious to see what would happen. Like, I'm not even positive this US team would have won there. And maybe I just don't give that that 2018 European team enough credit. But I they I just think playing that style of golf is totally different. And what what Whistling was asking was a pretty clear question. And it was going to be it was full time hitters only. It was it was yeah. no no pretenders were going to succeed on that course. But I don't know what it is about the Ryder Cup, but like 
any other situation, if I see Steph Curry there, I'm probably not going up and talking to him. But I was like, hey, man, like, <laughs> we did a podcast together at, uh, like a year ago. He, he at least pretended like he remembered. If not, he was cool. But there's a lot of pretending like like you remember going yeah. on at the Ryder Cup. <laughs> I I talked to, uh, oh, it was, it was Harry Diamond. It was Rory's caddy. And his face kind of lit up like the pretend to remember face. And I was like, ah, it's OK. Like, it's not it's not that big of a deal. But I feel like that happens a lot during that week well yeah like we, we you and i chatted up fee now we're walking up 18 after they had already clinched it oh that was that was great that was awesome he was talking about his son like he was talking about steph curry coming up to him and saying like hey great match and his son he says like the biggest steph curry fan in the world and he just looked like he had seen a ghost he said <laughs> after after steph curry comes up to his dad and is like hey great match and and you you were talking about how uh like like all the dad points right there, right? Like you just, you get so much credibility when Steph Curry comes up and daps <laughs> up your dad. That, that was pretty cool. Yeah, Fino's cool. awesome. Yeah. He lit up too when you told him you had four kids. He's like, oh, okay. So you know, <laughs> you know what I got going on here. I told him I was coming for him. <laughs> it's like, hey, you and Webb, I'm, I'm, I'm coming after you. <laughs> Me and poor Ab. <laughs> oh god that's fantastic uh, i will say i will say the the first tee was uh it was a letdown i i don't yeah yeah it just was it wasn't it wasn't as good as hazeltine um you know what i was thinking about <laughs> too though hazeltine had that wrap so uh, it, it, this was a full bowl kind of around this tee box whereas hazeltine was open on the right side and you followed a walkway down and you walked past a ton of people that had this build-up screen going, right, for you walking yeah. in. Yeah. And by the time you got to the tee, people knew you were coming, and the build-up was there, and it just set people off. Also, Golf Channel had a hype man out there in 2016, like when they would come back from commercial, <laughs> like, all right, everybody make some noise, go. And that worked. Yeah. And they there needed to be an organizer, sadly. It just did not materialize. But um, yeah, other, it didn't. Other cool interactions. I, I got to walk a hole with Spieth after the afternoon he took off on Friday. He was. I walked the whole match 16. with uh, with Hazel with. Um, sorry, I always say Hazel team with Scheffler and Bryson, and he came out. He's just like, I came to see the show. Like I, I had to watch this guy, yeah. and uh, we talked a little bit, probably off the record that conversation, but just about that the dynamic, right, of how Bryson has thrived in this dynamic and exactly why, right, and how, you know, it, it, uh, it not only did was Bryson willing to do what he had to do for the team, like the team was willing to do like for Bryson what was needed, right, like you know, mm -hmm. treat him the way that they need, he needed to be treated. And, you know, um, it, it, uh, it worked like it just freaking worked. And, uh, I hope they captured enough there that, um, it will last for, for years to come. So, um, well, no, no, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I got nothing. No, I got nothing. <laughs> That's it. That is officially it. We're we've emptied the Ryder Cup. Vince. The, we, yeah, Vince. We've, we've emptied the tank. Uh, I will not do any more Ryder Cup. Actually, we're, we're hoping to have a couple more players on uh, in the coming weeks because uh, we know we're not, we're not done wrapping this up. But go have a great vacation. It was a blast and a privilege to uh, to cover another Ryder Cup with you. Uh, we need to get you over to Italy. I, I, I'm not positive I'm going to be going, but I think we should be encouraging each other to go to go do this thing yes, in Italy because that for sure be, uh, it was yeah, opening ceremonies in the Coliseum. <laughs> <laughs> Bryson's hitting drives out of the Coliseum. <laughs> it was it was really cool. I will say last thing. Uh, first tee was just it, it didn't have the juice of Hazeltine, but Friday morning having 
your whole crew there, Andy and Brendan, Will Knights, all all these. I'm probably I'm leaving out a ton of Sean Zock and and Dylan Deshay, like all these guys. It was, and we were talking about this leading in. It it was such a, you know, we talk about the the players gathering and and what that means for them, but for us too, we don't see each other very much, and we're doing our own thing and we've got our own lives and we're talking sometimes like this, but we don't get to spend good time together. And I don't know if that week is great time. Cause we're trying to, you know, be funny on Twitter and take notes and take things in. And there's just a million things going on. But to me, it was special to, uh, to gather, to see and talk to DJ at lunch for like an hour. I haven't seen him in a couple of years to meet Cody, to, you know, go, go at it with Tron and Neil and see big rain. It, it was just, it was a really, um, in that sense, you know, I told, uh, I get home and my wife's like, did you have fun with your internet friends? <laughs> it's just, I'm like, yeah, I did. Like it's a, it's a special week. And so I wanted to say that as well because we don't get to do it enough. And yeah, you, you, um, you're always, you're grateful to cover all of it, but I think it crystallizes in weeks like a writer cup week. Honestly, I, as you're saying that, I'm like, you know what? Everything we said about like the way that the players feel about the team aspect of it, that's how I feel about the Ryder Cup, right? Like covering it with yeah. you, like doing walking around with you, like makes me appreciate golf more. Like we just have more, like we laugh about the same exact things, and like it's kind of lonely when you're just out there by yourself, you know, doing it. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's totally. it's fun to just kind of just. Did you see what Bryson just did? Like I don't know. It, it's a. It's, <laughs> I, it, no, I think I. Yeah. I I hit you on 13 whenever he pulled driver. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Kyle, enjoy your vacation. Uh, Thanks awesome. for all your contributions uh, with our podcast and over the course of the last month in life. Um, and uh, can't wait till we, till we do it again. Hope it's sooner rather than later. Cheers, brother. Uh, Cheers. Good night, club. Be the right club today. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most!